we uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the third sub, episode number 21. The numbers continue to go up and I'm here as usual, I'm Alexander Gangiruzic. I'm here with my co-host Samuel Rowan and today we have another special, special guest, Mr. J.J. Adams of the province in Post Media. He's here to chat Whitecaps, CPL, Florida, he's here to to chat at all so so how's it going this week jj how are you doing thanks for coming on the show let me be the uh, first to suggest you're gonna have to change the name of your podcast to the fifth sub since there are gonna be five subs in the mls is back tournament maybe even moving forward who knows, there who knows? well long-term change i don't know if we can handle that but we, we do like the third sub there's something symbolic about it and it is going to be terrible to see it ripped away but you know, if if Robbo was still here, you could have called it like the 70th minute or something like that, because he always made a sub in the 70th minute, no matter what. Well, if Robo was here, we'd be calling it the second sub. He really, he never really made that that, that third sub. We'd always say, "Hey, where's 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 the, where's the guy off the bench?" But I guess, anyways, as well, over to our over to our co-host. How how are you doing this week, Sam? And uh, you ready to to fire off some MLS talk? Yeah, doing pretty well. Obviously, some some pretty serious concerns coming from Disney World. MLS is back, and uh, and, and no one better to talk chat about it with than JJ, who's been covering what's been going on. And uh, yeah, JJ, pleasure to have you on, and always you know enjoy the work you're doing. So good to chat about it a little bit here. Glad to be here, guys. I, I enjoy your guys' work as well. Always very insightful, analytical, informative, and I mean that. You guys do good work. Thank you. It means a lot coming from coming from uh, one of the goats of Vancouver soccer media. But <laughs> before we go into that too much, well, we'll go into you know you're you're still working, you're still putting out stories, and one that came out pretty recently and pretty, I guess we'll say relevant to what's going on right now is yesterday, the Whitecaps. Despite you know today's July third as of recording, they were supposed to leave to Orlando on July first, but they hit a couple bumps in the road. I think they're not alone in this case teams within their own group have hit bumps in the road and you know it's kind of been a very how do we say like time of limbo for this MLS's back tournament and we're kind of we're kind of seeing it and JJ you reported yesterday about you know you talked to Axel Schuster and he kind of spoke about how you know even he's kind of like okay what's you know we're, we're waiting we're what's going on we had a plan and that plan's kind of gone out the window so kind of what have your you know, what, what have you heard and what is what is kind of going on with this whole MLS is back tournament and more specifically with the Whitecaps? Well, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they are scheduled to fly out tomorrow. Um, Toronto FC, who had also delayed, uh, is planning to fly out tomorrow. Um, it looks like both have been granted extensions or uh, some kind of approval to, to travel uh, sooner than one week ahead of their first scheduled game. Uh, of course, we, we don't know if this game on July 9th is going to go off with FC Dallas. Uh, I think Axel Schuster was, was hoping to get some clarity from the league on uh, what is going to happen. Are the games going to be rescheduled? 
Um, would they be moved into a different time slot later on in the week? What is going to happen with Dallas? I think the Athletic reported they had oh, 16 players available, which is <laughs> that's, that's a tough number to go into a tournament with. Um, there, there's been talk that maybe FC Dallas would go home. They'd be replaced in the group by a team from Group A. Uh, but as of right now, the MLS has not said anything. Haven't heard anything from the Whitecaps. And they've just kind of been in a, this holding pattern waiting to go. And I wonder if that kind of played into the, the inconclusive tests that they had earlier this week. You know, maybe they were just waiting for answers before they, they wanted to go and just needed a little uh, uh, excuse, perhaps. That's just speculation on my, point, on my part, but it, it would make sense considering, you know, we don't really know what is going on with the tournament, with FC Dallas. Um, we've seen the numbers in Florida. I think they had 10,000 new cases on on uh, on Thursday, which was a new record. I haven't checked today, but I'm uh, 9,000 today, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. 9,000 today? So, uh, 1,000 less, but still a, a lot. Oh, yeah. They're trending in the right direction. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> this is fine, Alex. Everything is fine. So, who knows what's going to happen? That's that's kind of the uh, the where everything stands right now. So, JJ, though, basically from, from kind of what we've been seeing and, and off the back of those inconclusive tests, it, it sort of seems like the Whitecaps aren't, aren't eager to head down south until they feel like there's some sort of, you know, something's really set in place, whether that's FC Dallas kind of getting the green light to go ahead with matches or groups being moved or something like that. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like the Whitecaps are going to be getting on a plane until anything's sorted out in that regard. Yeah, I, I mean, um, Axel Schuster would never uh, say that. He's he's a very positive guy. I don't think he would say there's concern. I think he would say, you know, he's confident. In fact, he has said he's confident in the, the protocols that are in place. He's, he thinks he'll be safe there. But, you know, um, Greg Vanny in Toronto yesterday, he, uh, he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't shy away from it. He said, you know, he was, he was very concerned. Uh, you know, things that are happening down there with FC Dallas, uh, Columbus had another player um, test positive. He said that, you know, the bubble is not impermeable. You know, there's some problems. And, you know, the question is how the league pivots to react to these uh, positive tests and get things under control. And they're kind of waiting to see what happens. Um, so, it, you know, he was, he was hoping for a little bit of a day because he didn't want to, quote, you know, barrel down there you know, into the belly of the beast um, before they got things under control. So I guess with uh, both teams now having travel plans, I guess the league has come to some kind of uh, a solution. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear what that solution is in the next uh, day or two. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, one, one thing that is interesting, because obviously we all, I'm sure we've all had our concerns with the, the you know, the tournament and more specifically some of the protocols. There were, there were a lot of you know holes and kind of question marks going into it and then obviously now with all these positive tests people are worried but then again you know you look over at Germany who's kind of been pioneered as one of the leaders of the the soccer restart and you know even they had some positive tests to deal with it's not you know it's not necessarily end of the world type stuff but you do kind of have to wonder can we expect in five days time for there to be games? You know, if teams are testing positive every day, you know, you talk about the 14 day quarantine. Do you think that's realistic to see games in, in five days or do you think the MLS is rushing things? 
you know, uh, uh, Germany and uh, the, the U.S. are are two very different animals uh, when it's come to how they've handled this. I mean, um, Florida, like the the, the ten thousand positive uh, cases that they had on Thursday, that was more than any European country had at their peak of the pandemic. Like the numbers down there are just exploding. Uh, why the Bundesliga has been successful is because the country has been successful in handling the pandemic. The U.S. is a mess. There's, you know, there's spiking everywhere. They had, uh, in two days, they have, have had 100,000 new cases. Um, Canada's had 100,000 cases since the beginning of the year. I mean, they just are not handling things well. And with so many teams still yet to travel to the bubble uh, from their various local markets, you got to wonder what they're going to be bringing with them because, you know, both Dallas and Orlando or Dallas and uh, Columbus tested uh, uh, clean before they, they went to Orlando. And it was only once they got to Orlando that the tests started popping up. So that means either the, the tests aren't catching uh, players who are infected before they leave uh, because maybe the viral load is too low and it's just, you know, they're basically incubation chambers and it'll rear its ugly head a few days into the, their, their time there, or um, there's a problem with the bubble and, you know, people are getting infected from whether it be staff coming in, workers, the alligators, the mosquitoes, who knows? Uh, you know, it's just, um, there are some serious questions. And as long as everything around that bubble is still on fire as it is in Florida, I would be seriously, seriously concerned as a player uh, about going there. So whether there are going to be games or not in five days, I think the MLS is going to try and push ahead as, as, as much as they can. Um, if we see a repeat of another FC Dallas where we have, you know, they have uh, 10 members of their, their team now who have tested positive, nine players and a coach. Um, that happens to another team and then another team. I mean, at what point do they say, okay, we're going to pull the plug, uh, you know, I don't know what, what, what that red line is. It's an interesting balance between obviously the MLS doesn't want to kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, have their pants pulled down by having to cancel a tournament. But at the same time, they have to judge, you know, how many teams do we let something like FC Dallas happen to before we decide to pull the plug. So I'm very interested to see. I think that, I think that it's most likely probably we see some matches and then, you know, maybe if things get to a level where it gets so out of control, it has to be canceled. But I think with everything the MLS has put into this and with teams already on the ground, they're going to try to do everything to go ahead, but it's, it's uh, certainly developing faster than they would like it to. But uh, JJ, I was going to ask you, um, what were your thoughts on the, uh, the food quality, let's say that we saw yesterday on Twitter kind of, kind of blowing up the you know fire festival level sandwiches and the sandwich the, cake and the and the prices associated with them now obviously there was kind of mls did some damage control to the backlash and there's been a lot of conversation since about you know that those aren't that's not necessarily the service that's going to be provided the entire tournament but just interested to see your thoughts on on that and all the kind of funny banter we saw on twitter man i mean that was, I think we, we were talking about the same sandwich. Was, um, uh, was it Oscar Gonzalez, his sandwich? Omar, uh, yeah, Omar Gonzalez. Omar Gonzalez, yeah. 
That, that sandwich costs $65 for this minuscule little wimpy sandwich and a bruised banana and potato salad. Well, yeah, yeah, air quotes potato salad, but it was like yeah. three underdone potatoes in a little, like, <laughs> little box. Exactly. These are professional athletes. How are you supposed to fuel professional athletes on food like this? I mean, we know this isn't the food that they will get in the dining room. It's supposed to be better quality. This was the food that they got when they were isolated after they arrived, I believe. But still, I mean, come on. <laughs> that was just ridiculous. Uh, if I was a player, I would be be really kind of a little uh, upset by that. Um, I don't know if you follow that other uh, the Twitter feed. Uh, it was like the MLS Insider showing all the things going wrong with the hotel rooms. And oh, my God. Yeah, MLS is everywhere. back. Come on, I think. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's definitely not a vacation. Or, or if it's a vacation, it's like the kind of vacation you take when you're like your age and backpacking through Europe on like a $5 a day budget. You know, those are the kind of accommodations you, you're seeing and you would expect as like a, you know, the young dude out there in Europe. Well, it's Disney. You expect, I don't know, you, I'd expect more from Disney, especially with all the money involved. So it's just been, you know, obviously there's no place is perfect. But I just, I don't know, for a professional, a major league in air quotes here, you just would have expected a lot, but such as MLS, and I guess we should, in a sense, be used to it. But it, it was kind of comedic, kind of this whole week of just snake. What is it? Snakes in the lobby, you know, a ham sandwich that looks like it was made on a two dollar budget, and you know, what was the faucets ripping off? Like, doesn't doesn't really scream major league, but maybe that's just me. Well, you're forgetting one thing here is that the NBA is also going to play at the Disney Complex. And who do you think is going to get the nice hotels with the nice rooms, with the nice food? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the Cabillion Dollar League, the NBA. I don't, have you seen the pictures of the, uh, the players' lounge that the, the MLS players get? Yeah, the one that's on each floor. It's kind of, it looks like it was put together in about five minutes. That are connected. It's just, man, you talk of it is so tight. It was like a, a console with like, games that are like five years old there's like an arcade game in the corner like the the, the multi-arcade with like like pac-man and donkey kong on it uh, some ping pong tables and a and a, and a and a poker table and that's like player's lounge and then you see what the nba guys get you know they get like djs and they get pools and they get like these outdoor entertainment areas and you know just the, the level of disparity between the two leagues is is pretty stark and uh, I kind of feel for those uh, those soccer players down there right now. Well, I think in the NBA, I've even seen they're putting in custom practice floors for each team. So you've still got like your Utah Jazz or your Sacramento Kings floor down in like conference rooms in, in Orlando. And then, you know, you see the, the quality of some of the stuff the MLS players are getting. Also, is interesting. I saw, you know, the MLS kind of responded to something of like, oh, the players weren't being forced to pay $65 for those sandwiches, which to me begs the question, then who is, like, are the teams, is are the Vancouver Whitecaps forking out $65 for each one of those sandwiches? Uh, even if the players aren't paying, it, it really does beg the question. But you guys are forgetting one thing. Unlimited Coca-Cola products, unlimited Kellogg's products. 
They're fine. They'll be fine. Yeah, athlete food. That's what you refuel with. It's a good old. Uh... <laughs> but I guess we'll, 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 before we stray too much into the the food talks, I do love me some food. Maybe one day I'll start a food podcast. <laughs> but you know, at this point, you know what? What if we were all? Com- I, I'd curious to hear both of your answers. You know, maybe I'll, I'll share a bit as, as, as well. But what would you kind of do at this point to just kind of? with everything that's happened so far between like, I think, I guess a month ago now when they announced this tournament and what's gone on since just what would we have changed? What would you, you know, at this point, like would obviously protocol is an issue, you know, like location obviously is another issue besides the convenience of it. When you look come to actual cases at this point, what would you looking back, should the MLS have done differently at this point to maybe avoid some of these, headaches especially the ones that just seem so predictable uh, maybe not schedule the tournament um i mean you look you i mean there's safety protocols and everything they have in place uh you know with masks and social distancing and disinfecting and uh you know keeping all the teams isolated from each other and uh you know any common areas you're scheduled to use get disinfected after each use so they're really taking some really positive steps to try and keep people safe. And I think that at the level of cases that were in Florida when they agreed to do this tournament, I think they were perfectly adequate. Now, you know, fast forward, you know, a month from after they've agreed to do this and the, those careful protocols and safety guidelines, they look like, you know, trying to, you know, take down an elephant with a, with a pocket knife. Like it's, it's, it seems inadequate uh, considering what they're up against. And it doesn't seem really kind of reasonable or logical to think that everything that's happening around the complex in Orlando is not going to find its way inside. Like you, you don't need a bubble. You need like a, a moat and like the great wall of China around to protect these guys. Like I, I, I can't see, what they have in place being enough to protect them. So, you know, in terms of what they could have done different, I don't think they could have done everything different. No one really predicted the spike um, in that, that I know of. No one really saw that it was going to come to this extent. Um, so the question is, you know, how bad does it get before they, they pull the plug? And that's probably the more uh, question that everybody wants an answer to. Yeah, and from, from my perspective, I think the thing I've thought about through all of this is that it, it's very difficult to find a place that balances having all the resources you need to set up this kind of bubble environment, but then also a place that is sort of remote or removed enough from other things to prevent, you know, outside virus spread getting in. And I think that's just kind of a, you know, impossible balance. You can't, you know, take it up to rural Saskatchewan because then you don't have the resources you need. but you know, at the same time, if you're going to host it in a place like, you know, outside Orlando, then you run all the risks of the, of the local location. So there's really, yeah, I don't know if uh, the MLS really could have, could have done much differently, but, you know, forces large, largely outside of their control kind of got in the way and sure maybe some of the measures they put in their place were a bit, you know, a bit ridiculed or pointed at as, you know, maybe they could have done better, but I don't, as JJ said, I think you need, you know, a pretty serious, some pretty serious fortifications to keep what's going on in Florida out. But I don't know, Alex, do we want to uh, move on to some, some CPL and, and other talk? Because ultimately there's only, 
only so much we can do about the current MLS's back situation at the moment. Yeah, well, yeah, at least to, to, to kind of round it off, one thing that I'll, I will say that, Sam, you know, you and I, at least we've been saying since the beginning, it's always felt rushed. And what you notice when things are rushed is, you know, when you rush a project, you build something, there's cracks. And what we're seeing right now in the MLS, there's a lot of cracks. And it's, it's, it's painful in a way because it's predictable and we're starting to see it. But that's my probably my one issue is how much they really rush things and how much it was a rush deadline. But, you know, you can't, obviously they really wanted to get this tournament off and I guess fair play for really for trying to get that together. But I just think it was rushed and it was, you know, maybe this wasn't the best way to go about things, but I don't know. JJ, you have something to say? No, I, I was going to ask you guys, I want to play devil's advocate here. Uh, you think considering, you know, the age of the players that, you know, this is a really a big deal. You know, if they get sick, or if they're, you know, asymptomatic and, and they carry coronavirus. What are your thoughts? Do you think this whole thing is, is overblown and kind of a tempest in a teacup? Well, I, I, think that, I, I think that from a personal perspective, you know, am I terribly, terribly concerned about coronavirus affecting my life and my, you know, well-being? I'd say the concern is relatively low. Let's put it at like a, a 20%. But both of my parents are now over the age of 60 and you know, I have, they have friends. I have, you know, other friends with older parents, with grandparents. So I I think that the concern for me would always be how it could sort of indirectly affect not only my community, my kind of small little group of people, but also, you know, those external that might be affected by my bubble. So I think, I can understand that it's, oh, I'm young, I'm athletic, this isn't going to matter to me. But at the same time, I, I think there's always those others you have to keep in mind. And and so I guess maybe when you're down in Orlando, it doesn't matter so much. But, you know, if you're, if you've been in contact with, you know, family members recently, or you're going to be soon after the tournament, I think it's something that would, would weigh on you for sure. I think, yeah, it depends. I feel like I'd be in a similar state of mind because, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky. I have a good immune system. I don't have, you know, I'm, I don't have any underlying health problems, but again, like Sam says, I think of parents or friends or my parents or, you know, just people who are immune compromised. And I think of them and, you know, I think of some of those players, obviously some players are young, mid twenties, they don't have partners, you know, they don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. They're living on their own. But then I think of guys like, you know, just to throw out a name, you think Carlos Vela who's is whose wife's expecting, or you think of someone like David Milinkovic who just had a kid, you, you think of, would he really be comfortable in going and knowing that if he picks up the virus and he doesn't know and he gives it to his wife and is, you know, she's immune compromised, she just had a kid. I feel like, again, it comes to thinking, okay, who is at stake here? And obviously I feel like, you know, in every sports league, there's going to be a lot of, you know, young players who don't have partners, don't have people to worry about they're here on their own they're not their their parents and grandparents are you know back wherever they, they may you know may be from but I think of those players who you know they've got other people to think of and that's where it's kind of like it's tough and I wouldn't blame a player for being okay I want to protect you know protect my family and I don't want to put myself out there and put myself at risk and you know maybe if he doesn't feel it but you know maybe my his wife or you know girlfriend or kids or you know someone someone's at risk and that's where the the trouble comes especially in orlando where it just feels like this point it's a coin toss if you're going to get it or not yeah 
Yeah. I, you know, I, I spoke to, to Andy Rose, uh, well-known. Uh, he, he has diabetes, type 1 diabetes, and he's been a big advocate for that cause. And uh, he's, he's a player who's going down there, um, along with uh, Jordan Morris in Seattle, who, who's also diabetic. Uh, they're considered to have underlying, underlying uh, health concerns that could be exacerbated by uh, coronavirus. I mean, I think the, the numbers that we've seen in uh, the U.S. Or, or Europe, I think there was a study done that showed that like um, patients who are hospitalized, uh, regardless of age, uh, with uh, coronavirus within a week uh, have to be put on a ventilator. Like, that's how serious it is. And, you know, with Andy, you know, he, he, his wife is expecting too. I mean, you know, I asked him about, you know, what would happen if she was to go into labor while he was in um, uh, Orlando? You know, he said he would come back, but, you know, he wouldn't be allowed in the hospital. He wouldn't be able to see his, his kid. And, you know, what would he do? Would he lock himself in a, in a hotel room for, for two weeks, you know, not being able to see his family? Um, you know, that's, that'd be a really tough thing to do. And, if he, if he didn't, if he just, you know, self-isolated with family, he'd be exposing them, you know, um, his, his, uh, his other young son, uh, his mother-in-law, uh, the Mrs. Bob Bradley, uh, is going to be um, there helping them take care of the, the newborn. And, uh, you know, even if you look in the bubble, Bob Bradley, he's in his 60s. You know, Peter Vermees, he's in his 60s. How many coaches do we know of that are, like, you know, 50 and above who would be a little more uh, vulnerable to coronavirus than, you know, these young players. And, you know, the other thing I mentioned this on uh, to uh, another podcaster is we're just starting to find out about the long-term effects that this can have on lung capacity. Like coronavirus can really severely damage your lungs and leave you with permanent scarring. And if you're a professional athlete that relies on, your cardio, your cardiovascular ability, uh, to put that at risk, you're putting your, your entire career at risk. Maybe not your life, but you know, you're putting your career at risk. And this is something that the, that the players need to think about. So when people say, oh, it's not a big deal, you know, young people, you know, don't worry about it. You know, yeah, yeah, you do for a variety of reasons. And uh, so I think it's, it's something that should be taken really, really seriously. And if it costs MLS, millions of dollars to call off the tournament, then, you know, maybe just call it off. Because I think there are more important things in, in, in life. And I think in, in a sense, you know, that, that's a good, that's a good segue to, I guess, one, one, one last topic on, on MLS, because I feel like it, it would be pretty relevant to, to talk about, but, you know, obviously right now, along with, you know, coronavirus, another big thing that's popped up around the world is, you know, in light of what's gone on in the States in support of Black Lives Matter. And it's kind of been a, a good wind of, of change across countries and one big one in MLS was the creation of a black players coalition. And I thought, you know, that I think that's a great initiative, especially considering how, you know, how diverse this population is both in Canada and the U S you know, a lot of these young kids, they, they want to have role models and, you know, a lot of them are going to grow up and play soccer and, you know, they might, it's just good to give some of those black players a voice and, you know, Obviously, if the and if the the games come back, there's you know there's been a lot of good silent protest players using their platform, and you know obviously in MLS with the games coming back, that sounds like the players you know are are going to do that if the games are, are played. So I was just curious to hear, JJ, what were your 
you know, what were your thoughts on the, the, the Black Players Coalition and just kind of how important is that for, you know, for kids and for, for, you know, players and especially kind of in what's going on and how that's been, you know, a good initiative brought up by the Black Players because it was, you know, kind of driven by them as well as such activists such as Justin Morrow and Kai Kamara, just to name a few. Yeah, well, I think they're, they're realizing that their, their platform isn't just shouting in the wind. They actually can have an effect. So I think it's, it's a great influence and, and something that, um, you know, is worth getting behind and supporting. You know, the whole, um, the, 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 the BLM movement, um, it really, for some reason, it, it triggers a lot of people who just really don't understand what it really means. You know, I, I've got, you know, Facebook friends, you know, parents of my friends who, who say things like, all lives matter. And they're, they're just kind of missing the point that, you know, this is not about all lives mattering more than others. It's just some people need some help. Like, uh, I don't know if you know who Dr. Jane Elliott is. She's really famous. She's done all these experiments in racism. I remember she did this one experiment on, on Oprah, of all things, years ago, where she asked the audience, which was almost completely white, uh, how many of them would like to experience what black people experience in, in America? She said, put up your hand. Not a single person put up their hand. She's like, well, wait, hold on, hold on. Maybe you didn't understand me. All I said was, if you want to live life the way black people do in America, put up your hand. And no one put up their hand. So they knew what the black people were experiencing. They just weren't willing to experience it. And by that, they were being complicit in keeping that systemic racism alive. So I think what we're seeing now with the Players Coalition, with the, the Black Lives Matter, we're maybe hopefully seeing a, a moment of change in society where people are starting to recognize maybe some of the, the uh, unfairness that is built into the system and maybe it's time to change that. I hope this is like a, a, a moment where we can look back on and say, you know, this is when it changes. And uh, so the, uh, the Players Coalition, fantastic idea. Um, you know, I, we might even heard about the... Uh, the Redskins might be changing their name, the Washington Redskins. So I think maybe we're finally starting to get it. I don't know. What do you think there, uh, Sam? Well, yeah, it's a, that, that anecdote that you brought up is really interesting because I think if that same study were to be done again, that same little experiment were to be done again, you know, right today as we speak, I think some people might be more willing to put up their hand and, you know, as, as, as a white person, I can't, you know, profess to have a, a great degree of, you know, understanding of, of a lot of what's been going on because I'm sort of, you know, been, been in a way disconnected from it. But uh, I think that, you know, what's happened over the last couple of weeks has made the issues going on feel a little bit more accessible to me because there's such a greater degree of information sharing, kind of perspective sharing going on. And it's, there's been such a critical mass of it that it's impossible to ignore. And so I think hopefully that means that, you know, it, when you ask people to put up their hands and, and, and try to understand what other people have been going through, hopefully we're getting to the point where more and more people are willing to, you know, raise their hand up and say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to ready to learn and ready to kind of, you know, understand how we can, can make things better. 
it really helps. I think, you know, social media and just other forms of media helps, especially young people. They're really active on there because on one hand you say change and then you think, you know, ancestors, family members, they've been fighting for that same thing for years. You see, I remember there's that one video of that protest and a month ago and it was like some dad and his son and they were having a discussion with, you know, another another guy and how it's just kind of like it's it's a cycle and it's repeating itself. But what I like about now it feels like thanks to social media and people are more accessible, you know, politicians are more accessible, athletes are more accessible. You can kind of see that change. You know, it, it's happening. It's not like, it, you know, it's not like you're shouting and, no, you know, people are hearing you, but they're not, you know, they're ignoring you. Now they're not, it's people aren't getting ignored. And that's, you know, that's nice to see. You see these players stand up and they're, they're making a coalition because I think it's going to be huge to have, you know, just, for example, black people able to sit down at the table and talk about what, you know, the issues they face. And I think of the Black Players Coalition, I think, you know, a lot of these players are going to, you know, for example, they're going to want to become head coaches. And in MLS and in, in soccer in general, there haven't been many black coaches, which is like, you know, you look at the, the teams, there's teams often it's like 50-50. It's completely, you know, it's, it's, it's a mix of, you know, all races yet when you look on the benches it's just you know it's it's what it's white people and I, I think of those players a lot of them when you think of a Kai Kamara I can see that guy becoming a coach or you know Justin Morrow or some of these leadership players I feel like you know just being okay like you know if you're gonna you know promote soccer for all etc cetera, etc cetera, there's you know many ways other than just the players on the field you think of coaches you think players in positions of power so that if a kid a young black kid sitting at home in I don't know, Connecticut, so I want to be a soccer coach, you can look up and have those role models and have those. So I think that's, that's important. And that's kind of what's what stuck out for me from all this. But I, I think it'll be good for MLS, because, you know, they talk about soccer for all, but it's nice to see some steps taken towards promoting those kinds of that kind of message. Well said, Youngblood. Alrighty, we're back for the, the second part of this you know, episode uh, 21, we'll just say it's maybe, uh, we didn't expect to have a break, but uh, we got we got thrown with a, a quick technological hitch. But, uh, you know, it was it was a pleasure to have uh, JJ on the show. He's very, you know, very insightful. It's good to have his, you know, his insight into the, the team and the league, and especially at the end there into the Black Lives Matter movement. So that was it's good to have him on. And uh, so you can go check out his work. I, obviously publishes with post media so at the province and uh the vancouver sun sometimes the national post the montreal gazette etc etc since it's a network and on twitter at the real jj adams and uh yeah it was it was a good one wasn't it sam yeah i mean we've uh we've interacted a lot with jj over the last couple of years at, at, at Whitecaps matches, training and whatnot. And he's always got a unique perspective and he's always willing, you know, especially in his written work, does a, a ton of digging behind the scenes to find out what's going on or to find the story that maybe others aren't paying attention to. Obviously right now, the, the story's kind of writing themselves with everything that's going on, but uh, he's always a, a great guy to talk to and we hope to have him on again in the future. So yeah, thank you, JJ for coming on and uh that's kind of transitions us into uh what we maybe would have talked to jj about if we had a little bit more time but something we still want to dive into which is the cpl news or lack thereof so far so alex yeah you want to kind of lead us into that well i feel like last week we sort of touched on it and it was kind of like 
we're getting worried, but like Canada's coming up. You hear the rumblings of maybe Canada, there'll be some news or whatever. And it's just been radio silent. And, you know, at this point, I think the issue is not that they're not saying anything. It's more the fact that nearly a month ago now, they're like, within a few days, we're planning to wrap up our hub city plans. And there's just been nothing. And I think the CPL fans have been very patient on Twitter. The ones I see, they've been really, you know, there hasn't been much outrage. I'm rightly so. The pandemic going on, take your time. But now at a certain point, people are like, okay, what gives? You know, at what point are you annoying your fans, alienating your fans for, you know, no good reason, especially having made that announcement. I think had you not made that announcement, people wouldn't be expecting anything. So it's kind of, a, it was a case of shooting themselves in their own foot here with this whole, you know, we're going to have, a, we're going to give you guys an idea within a few days and it's been like 30 days. So it's kind of like, okay, at what point is a few days, you know, a year or two years, but obviously it's not going to go that long, but where it's starting to get interesting people, you know, players, you know, players that I, I spoke, to, well, you know, I spoke to a player recently and he was like, okay, uh, I think, you know, I'm excited for this tournament, but, I, you know, I'm waiting for news just like you you and I are, you know, and, an, you know, another high-profile player on Twitter, you know, Nico Pasquati of uh, Cavalry, he, he himself, he was like, okay, at CPL, like, what the heck, you know, what the heck's going on here for players and fans? So, you know, at a certain point here, it's like, what gives? You know, what gives? That's where, what I'm wondering because we've been mentioning it since March. The CPL is such an advantage and it just seems so strange that there's just nothing nothing has come on obviously there's these rumors that kept leaking like a month ago like charlottetown this west hill this you know plans but i don't know how nothing's materialized especially you see mls forcing their way into this mls's back turn like a train about to go right off the tracks there's a cpl i feel like we say this every episode but they're just so well but Canada is just so well equipped to handle something like this. And that's why Edmonton and Toronto were selected as NHL hub cities. And that's why Vancouver could have been a good MLS hub city. So it just, it just kind of boggles the mind. That's kind of my, my little rant on it, but we can kind of go yeah. more into well, the news. But. Well, I'll just, yeah, I'll, I'll touch on something related to that, which is that, you know, I don't think we, we don't want to conflate um, being cautious about coronavirus with, what's going on with the CPL because obviously with what's going on in MLS, you see that, as you said, when you, you know, you do a patchwork job and you rush things, there's going to be cracks and those cracks are going to get exposed. And so you don't want the CPL to do something similar and then have a bunch of guys test positive and have it become a huge problem. But what you do want is clear and concise communication. Hey, we're looking at, you know, we're speaking with local experts. We're, this is an idea we have, or this is a plan we have, but we need to get it approved. You know, just being upfront and communicating, like if they're unable to communicate with their players, then, you know, that's an even bigger problem than communicating with the public, right? If players are just as frustrated and confused and, and, you know, things are just as up in the air for those guys, then, then you can't imagine, you know, what you're doing to, to hardcore CPL fans right now. And, and even as we speak, uh, Dwayne Rollins, from the East Coast just tweeted out possibly was some can PL movement today looking into it now. But we've seen and so that's that's very mysterious and who knows where that will lead. But we've very seen CPLish. But we've seen met a ton of those tweets over I think Dwayne tweeted out about could expect to see something on Canada Day and nothing came. So it's just it's come to a point where 
it's really not about you're not going to get the jump on pro sports at this point that train has well and surely passed but you can be open and upfront with both your players the media and fans about what the plan is and if you if you come up with a good and creative plan you execute it really well as a cpl it can be a huge success story so it's not like it's not like they've missed the boat you can still have a really fun engaging tournament you just need to from this point onwards really do it right and get people behind you but so far it's been uh, murky at best i would say well it's like where, where do i even you know where do i even start with this you know the murky the murky news dwayne rollins is you know, it feels like every few days it's this new, this new news is coming up, but we haven't, we haven't seen much. And it's just like, at what point do we go, okay, like, you know, how much preparation is needed, you know, how much, et cetera, et cetera. It just feels like the CPL is set up for this tournament. And one thing that you, but then again, you, one thing you realize is one thing we talked about a lot, I think, especially on episodes nine and 10, was the CPL players union and the, how, for example, that is not recognized by the league still, which is like, you know, I find that very interesting because it's a, it's a FIF pro approved union. It's a Canada labor association approved union, you know, even one soccer, one of the partners of the league was interviewing them and giving them, you know, some sort of, you know, a platform and like the league isn't recognizing it player union you see in MLS how important that has been to have the players because you know MLS is like we want to give you guys a pay cut we want to lock you guys up and the players are like no we're going to stand up for ourselves and look at that now they're obviously the a lot of the players didn't want to play this tournament but you know they made sure that if they did they were taken care of whereas the CPL players are they going to be doing that and I feel tough for some of these players because obviously the risks I feel in Canada are a lot lower for a tournament like this than a risk in the, U- the U.S., especially considering, A, the travel's closed off, and B, a lot of the cities are really, like, you'd think of Pacific on Vic- Victoria, where there's been, like, one case and over, you know, one case over a month, or you think of Halifax, or, you know, some of these teams are in a really good position, but then it's like, I think of a player who's already making what, what, 10,000 a year and he's already had to take a pay cut and he's risking you know his life maybe he has a family to take care of and he's risking his life just to you know or you're risking his health just to go not even he's not even at least you know with MLS they're they're making some good money off of it so it's going to be interesting to see how all of that materializes just because I think for the CPL as good as the situation is and how it's kind of a set up landing strip for them to take off of there's still some hurdles to sort out on the way there, but I'm just surprised it's taken this long, let's say. Yeah. And so, you know, fingers crossed between now and when we record the next podcast, maybe there will be some news because it does seem like it has to be only a matter of time at this point, but uh, you know, we'll keep our fingers crossed, uh, hold our breath a little bit and, and see where it goes from here. But Alex, that maybe kicks it to our, around the world kind of portion of the podcast that we've been finishing things off with. So what, what stood out to you around global football this past week? Well, 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 um, obviously there's the usual suspects that have been uh, plugging along, uh, you know, Premier League uh, wrapped up last week. Well, officially by, you know, the Champions League race, boy, is it spicy. Well, doing. I would say, yeah, my, my story of the week, I guess, from, from England would be, uh, my boys, Leicester, very much 
you know, it is now a realistic possibility that they could lose that Champions League spot. You got Chelsea and Man United. You got Wolves. Hot on their tail. Wolves have been playing phenomenal football since the restart, looking looking like a top class team, and and well, yeah, very very excited for the last month. Yeah, well, you look at Sheffield too. They got screwed on match day first return against Villa, but then. They they lost to Man U badly, and then yesterday they go to Tottenham and they pound them three one or whatever it was three 0 and then because the Spurs and Arsenal are all in this race, it's going to be an insane you know finish. But you know some other leagues that we want to, I'd want to shout out least is the return of the NWSL because yeah, I did return return this weekend, and uh, obviously for Canadians it's been a bit frustrating trying to trying to get access because it's on CBS, and then. For example, the first game, which was uh, North Carolina versus Portland, it was on my TV, but I clicked on it. It didn't work. So, you know, I have yet to find some alternate methods, let's say, because uh, maybe I've, I I think you can sign up for CBS All Access, but so far I've just kind of gone for the alternate method. But, you know, first of all, I feel like this tournament is a huge missed broadcast opportunity. First of all, I just put that out there because last year TSN did obtain the rights for the NWSL, which is great. Got to, you know, got me at least to to check out some more games is a lot more accessible. And I feel like there's what a good dozen Canadian players playing primarily start off with, you know, obviously you got Sinclair and then you got Stephanie Labe. You got some big players playing in this tournament. Obviously someone like Desiree Scott pulled out for family concerns and whatnot because a lot of national team players, both Canada and U.S., did opt out of this tournament because they did have that right with how the NWSL is structured with a lot of input from the national teams. But I just think, you know, it's been great to have, you know, professional women's soccer back in North America because I look in Europe. One big example that stood out to me is Italy's restart. They pushed, they pushed to get their men back underway, but they just kind of like, okay, we're, we're, this, the, the women's season is not going to gonna finish. And I felt like that is a bit, you know, like, why not? You know, especially now when there's people looking for sports, it's a good time to drive up interest in all teams, you know, men or women. And I think the NWSL, they're they're breaking, you know, they're breaking viewership records. And, for example, the Portland-North Carolina game got more views than Chelsea versus Man City, for those unaware. And this is in the U.S., sorry, but for those unaware, Chelsea has Christian Pulisic, you know, the USMNT, you know, proclaimed savior so I think it's it's been really good and the games have been entertaining most of them high scoring obviously there's a couple of nil nils thrown in there but I think it obviously with the Orlando Pride missing it hasn't been the same but I feel like it's it's been a surprisingly good quality considering a lot of the the emissions of, of national team players but if you're in Canada and get your CBS all access going and make sure to check out some NWSL. And it was great to see some NWSL teams really coming out strongly in support of the Black Lives Matter movement and a couple really powerful moments pre-match that were were pretty widespread on Twitter and and great exposure for both the women's game and NWSL and the Black Lives Matter movement. So always good to see those two kind of, you know, joining forces to to talk about things Mm -hmm. on a global stage. Well, I feel like especially, you know, the women's soccer players are a huge ally to a movement like this because when you talk about, you know, struggles people have faced, they've especially had a lot to deal with as it comes to just, you know, getting getting a league and promoting women's soccer and their World Cup and just fighting to, you know, get, you know, equal equal pay, for example, the U.S. women's team and just 
you know, equal sponsorship opportunities and whatnot. And I, so I think you can really see the, you know, the connection between what the women's soccer players have fought through and then the Black Lives Matter movement. I think it's a great show of unity for, you know, for both sides. And I think it's, it's been telling that someone, you know, like Megan Rapino, she's been kneeling to the anthem since Kaepernick did it. And all the players, all of, all of them were pretty much, you know, kneeling. And I just think it, it, was, it was great for the NWS on. I think they've done a great job on the field surprisingly you know you haven't heard obviously besides the Orlando case which is you know a whole situation with the players going to a bar in Orlando and it just really caused the what can best be described as a, a shambles but besides that there, there hasn't been many positive cases but they you know they picked Utah a pretty quiet state and it's just hat tip hat tip that's all I'd say good hat tip yeah, and maybe maybe the Utah is a good example of what we talked about with JJ, where they do have enough resources to, you know, you got good quality pitches and you can you can host a bunch of teams, but at the same time you're you know relatively removed from super high density population groups, and so in that sense, it's a much more attractive destination than Orlando. So uh, glad to see the NWSL doing well and and you know supporting some important movements since the restart and. Hopefully, yeah, whether it's through CBS All Access or, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, whatever methods you can find on the internet, hopefully you can tune in and watch some of those matches. It's actually, it's interesting that we mentioned women's soccer because one thing I saw that was quite controversial was yesterday. I don't know if you saw this, that USL Championship is returning and they have a team in RSL, the Real Monarchs or something. I guess it's the RSL second team. But did you see that they're planning to have a game in like a week or two weeks with fans at Rio Tinto stadium or whatever, where the hub is, yeah. which is just completely may mess up the NWSL bubble, which is it's like, speak of getting just like that. That was pretty infuriating that this USL championship, this, you know, men's B division is going to recklessly put, you know, put a lot of these, you know, the NWSL players already have had to go through a lot to get to this tournament and, you know, they've done so well that might be compromised just because of an idiotic decision like that. Well, and I mean, it's, it's an incredibly tone deaf decision, even if you don't consider the women's tournament, like the idea that you see what's going on across the United States and you think that it's okay to host a match with fans, let alone the fact that, yeah, you're endangering an entire league based on, based on that decision. Yeah. It's, it's uh, hopefully that is nowhere close to going ahead in reality and hopefully it gets, squashed out because yeah you really want to see the nwsl continue and yeah and you have to obviously things like you know tickets and gate driven revenue are important to usl franchises but you know some things are more important than the bottom line and and you gotta you gotta keep the health and safety of everyone in mind above all else Mm -hmm. but i guess we're we're gonna move on to other competitions i feel like it, it, it was a pretty good week of, of, of football being one thing I find now it's like it went from too easy to keep up with to like too hard there's a lot going on now. like it's there's games every day and I'm like at a certain point I was like I just you don't realize like the other day I went you know I went to go see my mother and I was getting some text in the group chat and it's like athletic overs Barca like geez there's athletic overs Barca wasn't there the other day there was Liverpool Man City and they're like on Thursdays and Tuesdays and not going to lie, I've had a bit of a struggle keeping up, but there has been a lot of, you know, football across the board, obviously mentioned NWSL and, you know, Premier League is always good. It's easily accessible and the zone. And I feel 
that race there, obviously relegation looks like Norwich is going down and uh, I'm not mistaken. Who's in second last? Oh, I don't have it. Bournemouth has been in real oh, trouble yeah. Bournemouth and, and been... they, they have not been playing well since the restart. And then I think, I After think, you know, West, West Ham's been playing pretty well. So I think they're well, out of the relegation, they're out of the relegation well. zone. And I want to say that it's Villa in that third spot, mm-hmm. I believe. And, you know, all yeah, three, you, you, all three of those teams have been very, very disappointing this year. I think, you know, certainly some teams with potential, like I'm pretty sure Bournemouth was in the, in the top half of the Premier League, either last year or two years ago. And, and, you know, so Villa certainly has some quality players, but, None of those three. Well, I'd say those two, Bournemouth and Villa, maybe just haven't put it together the way they should. Whereas I think Norwich, they played a way in the championship that just wasn't sustainable at the Premier League level. And you could kind of see early on that that probably wasn't going to work out too positively. I mean, they've got a negative 35 goal differential, which is 11 worse than every other team in the Premier League this season. Well, one thing I'd like to shout out as well, if we're going to talk English football, is that it's good right now if you're a Canadian fan to see Cardiff City. They've been on a bit of a roll. I think two or three wins and a, and a draw since the return, and they're firmly in fifth or sixth place in the championship. So they're gonna. It looks like they could. They could. There still is like ten games. The championship schedule is ridiculous. They play like forty, whatever it is. There's yeah, they play like forty six games or something obscene like that. So they're like they, there's only ten to go out of. You know, it's just insane. But how. First of all, Leeds United is going to be going up. And obviously, I don't know where that's going now because this transfer saga has got more turns and turns and ins and outs than a, you know, a soap opera. But Kyle Lahren could be going to Besiktas. I mean, not Besiktas, from Besiktas to Leeds. And uh, Junior Hoylet, Canadian men national team players playing with Cardiff, they were in the Premier League last year. They might go up again if a playoff. And then you think how Jonathan David was linked to the Premier League. It's a good time if you're a Canadian, you like English football, let's just say. And those EFL championship playoffs are always it's spectacular Amazing. scenes, always some of the best football. It's that nice combination of, you know, there's still really good quality players and high quality football, but there's just enough chaos and rawness mixed in. And obviously the and terrible football, like, <laughs> terrible pitches sometimes and Brexit football and finger, finger exactly and and sometimes there's just you know and the atmosphere at some of these you know obviously it's not going to be the same without fans but you still have the you know that shining kind of you know light at the end of the tunnel of the Premier League and it always makes teams play a little bit helter-skelter and just kind of it's it makes for some some terrific drama down the stretch um, but, but with that, Alex, I think we're maybe going to uh, dive into my, uh, my K-League preview, or not preview, really more of a wrap-up. And, uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a big K-League fan, the, the match that was on everyone's mind going into this past week was Ilsan Hyundai against Gion Book, and it was it, – it kind of wasn't the barn burner you wanted it to be. I mean, uh, Ilsan Hyundai got – took a red card and that kind of derailed their hopes and Gion book ended up cruising to a two nil victory. So that kind of has firmly placed Gion book at the top of the table, but you still got those two. They're the, the undoubted, you know, one and two teams in the K league. And then uh, if we look at the Suwon blue wings, unfortunately, another loss, another, another match, another match where they don't score a goal. So you know, as much as they've been struggling a little bit defensively, Daniil Henry, 
certainly at the back, they are not receiving a lot of scoring help, which, which really has not, you know, served them very well. And we were, we were talking about them being right in the mix for a, for a top six spot just a couple weeks ago, but two straight losses and now they're down in 10th place, which is, which is tough to see. Um, but yeah, that's a, not a, not a terribly exciting week from the K league, but obviously that one match that really took center stage and kind of firmly placed Yunbuk right at the top there. At what point do we ring the panic button though about Suan? I do wonder because at the start, it felt like, okay, Ross, they did well in the champions league early before the, you know, COVID kind of shut things down. And all of a sudden now it's nine games, like, Nine games in their tenth. They're, I think I think it's a serious concern. I mean, I they're, think you they're have third your, last, and they're you have your sixth. offensive players just not performing, and it doesn't seem like that's going to fix itself anytime soon. Like if you look at the top, Junbuck has a let's see if my math sixteen point lead over Suwon. So first of all, I think sixteen points. You, that's five wins already. You can almost throw their title out hopes out the window, and even then they're. Six, the magic, you know, the magic six plays we talked about there, you know, three points away. That's not terrible because there's just been a glut of teams in the middle. But if you're Suwon, you're in the Champions League, you're a big club. You're one of Korea's, you know, premier clubs. The fact that they're, it's obviously an underperformance. And I just don't think sixth is what they should be striving for. And I think it's tough from a Canadian perspective. So you want Daniel Henry to be pushing himself and, you know, putting himself on John Herdman's radar. And obviously he has been playing good, and I think he's done a good job at that. But at the same time, I want him to be keep playing Champions League. I want him to push towards the highest, you know, the highest levels in Asia because their Champions League is really interesting. I don't know if anyone's, you know, ever watched much of the Champions League, but if there are listeners here who haven't or are on the fence, I'd strongly suggest watching. Obviously, you know, Daniel Henry at the beginning of the year was good to watch, but I even think about a year or two ago, I was, I was watching Persepolis versus, I think it was the Kojima Antlers in the in the final. And that was that was such an interesting year because, for those who didn't know, Persepolis that year they they basically they got hit with the transfer ban like two years ago, and they built built their entire team all off academy prospects and like spent no money, and they made it to the final of the Champions League, and they lost to, you know, to the Antlers who went to the Club World Cup. You're like, wow, this was actually like. First of all, great atmosphere, great stadiums. Like, I just feel like the Asian Champions League and the CONCACAF Champions League and the CAF Champions League, those are, and obviously Libertadores, like, those are all really good competition. We talk about UEFA and there. You know, I love the UEFA Champions League, but as good as quality the matches are, you just don't match the atmospheres, the intensity. And in case of CONCACAF, sometimes you don't miss that sketchiness, that just that X factor. And I feel like, just got to give some love to those those uh, underrated tournaments, let's say. Absolutely. And uh, something I've been thinking about, my question for you, Alex, is with Suan struggling the way they are, if, if this kind of form continues the rest of the year, do you think uh, it's a scenario where maybe Daniil's, you know, wondering about his future at the club or, or, or where, you know, his next move should be career-wise? Because obviously I think he signed in Korea with the, with the intention of competing right at the top of the K league table. And if that's not going to be realistic, do you think it's possible that he looks to either go elsewhere in Asia or maybe make a return to North America at some point? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to, I think we're going to kind of see where he's at in his career. I don't know if he even knows where he's at because he made a move up to Europe. You thought that was it. Okay. He's going to 
hack it at West Ham or hack it wherever and become one of those Canadians abroad. And then he came back and MLS and he did really well. And he made another move abroad. And this was like, okay, K-League is, first of all, on its own, it's a great league as we've kind of made the point of noting each show episode. Like, this is a good league where we like to we promote the K-League and what, they, what they've done. But then from there, it's still a stepping stone league. Danilo could easily make his way up or are we going to see him return to MLS? I'm very curious to see because... I think K-League, for national team purposes, it's a great league, and he's going to, even with his play, despite his Suwon's performances, I think he's back on the radar. At the same time, we're going to see his ambitions. Does he want to return to MLS? Does he really like it in career? Is he going to fight for Europe to get, you know, really become, improve his game? And I think there's going to be a lot of interesting avenues for him, and I think we're going to kind of see where he's at in his career based on these, these next year or so. If this is going to be a final stop for him, if this is more of a one-year, two-year thing and just enjoy the experience, soak it up and move on. Yeah, not to be overly dramatic, but I think that, you know, the way Suon performs the rest of this season may have a significant impact on what that next step is because it's, it's amazing, you know, whether it's fair or unfair. A lot of the times the, the quality of the team around you really affects how other clubs view you. You know, when you're part of a successful team, a team that – does a lot of winning a team that plays, you know, attractive football, then people elsewhere view you in a positive light. And so, you know, hopefully Suwon can kind of turn it around and Daniil can keep increasing his profile, both with the national team and sort of internationally and maybe make the move he's looking for at some point in the near future. So uh, with that, Alex, you got any, any final topics from around the world you want to discuss on this episode number 21 of the third sub around the world, I guess. Shout out to La Liga because Barcelona's a shambles and Real Madrid might actually win with the Zidane magic again. That guy's that guy's addicted to trophies. I don't know how he does it, but he's just a trophy magnet. And I don't know why he left Real Madrid in the first place. And Barcelona, like I don't know, international, you know, soccer, uh, you know, European soccer. They've just kind of blown my mind, like. How the fact that this week they they traded Artur to to Juventus for Pjanic, who's like seven years older and like not that much better of a player, and just their mind-boggling transfer policy. Honestly, if I had a European soccer po- podcast, I could go on all day about how nonsensical it is. And I'm, you know, I don't even, you know, I'm, I like Barcelona, but I'm not a Barca fan. But I just find it hilarious how like incomp like it's incompetent to the point that it hurts your head. You know, it's like one of those things where you see a team and you're like floundering you almost feel bad like I feel like well Barcelona's starting to get to that point even though they're doing well in the league or you think of a team like Arsenal it's one of those teams where you just like stop being incompetent like it's fun when you guys are good you make the you make the sport fun so shout out to La Liga it's been a great battle you go look at Syria you know Lazio Juventus they've kept things spicy Inter Milan is creeping up and then what I've noticed one thing I was gonna say Usually the Premier League is the unpredictable one, but I felt like most of the battles, you look at the top versus bottom, they've no upsets. But you look in Italy and Spain, there's been a lot of upsets. Obviously, you know, Barcelona drew Atletico this week. That's not much of an upset. But I think of a game like AC Milan versus Spall. AC Milan in the middle of a Champions League hunt, and they play Spall, who's pretty much already relegated. And Spall beats them like 4-0 in their own stadium. You're like, What? Shout out to so I'll say shout out to Europe for this unpredictable soccer. And if the White Caps do play a tournament MLS, 
I'd say watch out because things are unpredictable. They do have an advantage. And I think this post-COVID soccer time just kind of exposed some new trends. Well, yeah, the other thing I was going to say, especially in regards to that kind of Barca transfer policy discussion, was that the, the MLS has announced some new sort of dates and restrictions around uh, you know, trades in the transfer window and how that's all going to play out. And I think what we're seeing through, you know, COVID and, and kind of coming on, you know, off the back of that uh, with the return to play is that we're probably going to see some, some surprising and head scratching moves across the world. Cause I think every club is going to be in a different financial situation and react to COVID and everything that's gone on differently. And so we could see some really wild transfers, some well, we curious awesome. buys, some, some curious, but I'm saying like in MLS, we're yeah, going to no. see. Oh no, so we didn't even mention. I'm thinking MLS. Yeah. Think of Leonardo Gonzalez Perez. That's true. Atlanta this is true, yeah. Stars. And they shipped him off to, to Miami. Mexico. Six months later, he's like, ah, I've had enough of Mexico. Yeah. Signs for Inter Miami. He's not even allowed to play in MLS's back. Look at Jurgen Dam. Always every year linked with MLS. Every year, well, he was supposed to go abroad, and that never happened. Signs with Atlanta. Like talk about the rich getting richer. Like he's a He's on a non-DP deal, like mm-hmm. fair play Atlanta. And I'm thinking, wow, some of these transfers already, we're going to see because a lot of players are just, there's going to be a lack of opportunity. And one thing I, I, I was curious to see is how this new transfer policy affects leagues. Because one thing I noticed, I follow a lot of league, and I think when they come back, they're going to be my, my main around the world plugs. I do watch a lot of league, um, but I think the league, uh, they're starting in less than a month. And because they, they had said just like, okay, we're not finishing the season. We're starting fresh. And what I noticed is that there's been so much buying between the league. Like players are getting sold within clubs in the league, but not with other leagues because the transfer policy skewed. So is that going to affect league? Uh? Because there's some hot prospects in league uh, that we're going to go abroad. I think of, you know, for me, the one I noticed personally is Eduardo Camavinga. He plays for, you know, my style René. He's 17. Real Madrid want him for like 100 mil. Obviously, he's not going to go to Real Madrid now because Real needs him there in the Champions League. And they're like, there's all these sorts of transfer policies. And I wonder how that's going to affect, you know, think MLS. Like, yeah, the window is going to be open. There's a two-day window and then later a full a fuller window. But is, you know, are there going to be, even be players to sign? How is this going to work for transfers? Are we going to see more transfers between certain leagues out of on the same calendar versus the other. And I think that's going to be something very interesting to watch across the board, like how this map of transfers ends up linking together. Because for example, Liga, we're already seeing it. It's just a bunch of circling between Liga, whereas other leagues are talking, you see Leroy Sané, for example, that one's like, obviously Bayern just finished their season, but Man City's still in the middle of the, obviously they're not in the title race, but they just gave him their player and he's like with them. Or you think of Artur and Pjanic, both of their teams are in title races and Artur just goes to Juve and Pjanic goes to Barca and now they can't even play. And it was like, you know, like why not wait two months? It's just confusing. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of deal is materialized because of that. And I think certainly in MLS with all the, you know, the restrictions and the, and the roster stipulations and things like that, we're going to see which teams are, you know, best prepared to expose and take advantage of all those sort of rules and, and, and mechanics of the league. And, you know, hopefully the Whitecaps are willing to be on the front foot there. But at the same time, we've heard Axel Schuster sort of say, we're happy with our squad and, and we're not looking to make any moves. So, uh, we're going to have to see how things play out. But, yeah, some teams in MLS already kind of 
taking advantage to a certain extent and, and we'll continue to track that as time goes on. Well, I'll say this. I, I'd say I'm not, I don't see a player maybe on the, the two day window. I'm not going to predict the signing, let's say, but I'm going to say, don't be surprised if by the end of the summer, the white caps don't make the signing. I feel like from what we hear from what might, you know, obviously I don't, I'm not going to say this is an official thing, but kind of what you hear thrown around, it sounds like, Schuster is looking at him, you know, he obviously doesn't have a head of scouting announced, but it sounds like they've got their guy lined up. It sounds like they got some scouts. I wouldn't be surprised if something really just too hard not to say no to comes up and all of a sudden we see a surprise signing and, you know, say a midfielder or, you know, or say a winger, or even see, you know, a striker go out and then another one come in kind of thing. Obviously there's Cavalini, but I just basically just say, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, a surprise movement because certainly sounds like they're ready for that. So I'd say if you're into that kind of thing, stay tuned. All right. Well, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of episode number 21 of the third, or as JJ suggested, potentially the fifth fifth (laughs) sub. Yeah. Maybe the second sub, if you're Carl Robinson, it's really all down to your perspective, but uh, yeah, we want to thank JJ first and foremost for coming on the show as always, you can you know find his stuff at the province through the Vancouver Sun, pretty much wherever Post Media is um, putting stuff online or or in print. If you're still into that sort of thing, but uh, you know, for myself personally, you can find me at Samuel underscore Rowboat on Twitter or 86forever.com, where we're going to be doing some match previews and stuff. As uh, you know, if and when the MLS is back tournament goes ahead, we'll definitely be covering every inch of that and uh alex will kind of kick it over to you to give yourself a little shout out and bring an end to this podcast well yeah i'd like to say one last thing we'll shout out well we'll shout out jj again but one thing that is important to note that you know in mls not all in in hockey teams have four or five of these but in mls there's usually one or two proper newspaper scribes for each team and the way caps are we are lucky to have in a sense you know JJ and the province the work they do and even before him you have Patrick Johnston and Mark Weaver so you know just if you like white caps uh you know what they do go support them buy their paper read give them you know give them clicks because it does make a huge difference to have an actual reporter who you know who's, who's out there digging and getting us that info that we, we we crave so shout out for that and you know, shout out, shout out for that. So, you know, me personally, yeah, as usual, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Gungarizic at BTS Fan City as well and uh, BTSFanCity.com. Say this every week, but, you know, again, planning previews. Obviously, we're waiting to see what happens. And obviously, if there is a preview, we would prefer to do it before. But I do have an exciting interview with a CPL player coming out soon. I won't say who, but basically when it's published, we'll probably see the interview on this podcast. And I, uh, we also are working on a possible Whitecaps interview. So, you know, you could stay tuned for stay tuned for that. And, you know, what other stuff to shout out. We're planning to do a preview podcast in MLS. So if you've stuck around this far, you know, stay tuned for that. We're working on, on that. And besides that, I feel like it's just as things ramp up, be it tournament played or tournament not played, there's going to be no shortage of storylines and we'll, We'll be here for that MLS and, you know, as well us, at least, I don't know about you, Sam, but we'll also be doing a lot of CPL when that does come up. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to covering any and all of the North American soccer that comes our way. And, uh, and yeah, looking forward to many more of these podcasts, many more interesting conversations with guests. So 
that about wraps it up for episode number 21. Thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll talk to everyone again soon. Have a good one. Stay safe.